welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays. My name is Courtney Weaver. I'm your host. I'm also the director over at WellWBU here at West Virginia University. Today with me, I have Julie Brevzinski-Lewis. Um, I had to ask her how to pronounce her name to make sure we don't butcher it. And she, actually, Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your role at the university here? Sure, sure. I'm a research assistant professor, and so I do research, but I also have a service role on a team of, of mind, we call ourselves the Mindfulness Squad, and we have um, a course called Mindful Steps that's sort of our flagship course, as well as doing standalone stress management classes. Great. And so one of the other um, roles that you're involved in is that the Office of Health Promotion and Wellness, which don't confuse that with WellWVU, because we, we also do health promotion, but we focus exclusively on students. But the Office of Health Promotion and Wellness, they focus a lot on faculty and staff initiatives. Yes. And one of the things that they're doing is they've created a new well-being model. And along with that, they've created some priority action teams that look at each dimension of wellness that we've sort of outlined specifically. And so, Julie, you serve on the one about purpose, correct? Yeah, I do. I know. Purpose is something that we've always emphasized. I think that the... Something about our style of life uh, in current times really puts us out of touch with our sense of meaning and purpose and doing mindfulness and connecting first just with our breath and with our current state. And then you have enough perspective to connect to that sense of purpose, which just imbues your life with so much more meaning and enjoyment. So um, we, we really like to, to emphasize that. Okay. Well, good luck to you on that. I actually sit on the advisory council for the priority action team. Oh. So likely we'll see each other. Yeah, anyway. we will. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so let's get to the topic at hand today. So you're, you say you're part of the mindfulness squad, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about mindfulness, but then we're going to dive a little bit deeper and talk actually about the neuroscience of mindfulness, like what is actually happening in your brain when you are practicing mindfulness, which I love because I love to know how the body works. I find it really fascinating. Um, and so I'm excited to, to talk to you today. So let's start off first with what is mindfulness? Because you hear it a lot. It's a buzzword, I think. It is. I know you can get everything from like mindful cooking to, you know, mindful setting up your lawn furniture. Um, and so it's become a little diluted. But the real meaning is about doing things with with a kind of awareness and intention. And the practice of mindfulness was actually developed what, what kind of is probably the root of this modern mindful movement was started by John Kabat-Zinn and he had cardiac patients. And they were told after having a heart attack or some sort of heart failure incident that, oh, you should you know, eat better, see a dietitian. You should um, exercise more, go to a rehab clinic. And cut out your stress, but they were never given any tools on how to do so. So he de developed a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction that put together both Western relaxation exercises, Eastern practices like um, mindfulness on the breath and yoga, compassion practice, and things that give you the tools to be able to um, be more resilient and deal with stress in a way that um, can bring both relaxation and just that kind of fluidity to dance with life, I guess. <laughs> right. And so obviously one of the benefits is that it relieves stress. Yes. Um, but what do you think some of the other benefits of mindfulness are? I think 
it's really in the brain and because of it being a, a kind of awareness of the breath and body it kind of goes downstream from there right your your brain can get caught up in circuits that are deleterious for your health just to kind of um for example like depression and anxiety you get caught up in a rumination which comes from the word like cows chewing on <laughs> ruminating and kind of chewing their cut i don't know i mean especially if i wake up in the middle of the night this totally happens to me i'm just like oh no i sent that email to that person and i think they misunderstood it and uh, and, <laughs> and you get carried away in your own thoughts and in a sense of being kind of trapped and claustrophobic. And by doing mindfulness practice, you, you know, are just sort of saying, hey, brain, I know that you do a lot of thinking for me. You do a lot of strategizing <laughs> imaginary conversations to see how that would go or how this would go. Um, with mindfulness, you're just like, okay, right now the only task is just to place attention on the breath. And it seems kind of, like boring right but it, it's actually not um the breath is an anchor and the mind does what it does anyway like it's still going to come up with thoughts and that's not a bad thing um you just keep on placing attention on the breath and whatever thoughts come up or emotions come up or bodily sensations or you hear that bird or that airplane or whatever it is you just notice and go back to the breath and in doing so you're strengthening a mental muscle and this mental muscle is about sustained attention and that's the type of attention that we need to do things that um, are actually quite pleasurable so if we want to sit and listen to a symphony if we want to do our work and have a sense of like peacefulness about it like instead of like while I'm doing the dishes I'm just thinking of a million things in my head I'm actually there and I'm enjoying doing the dishes or if I'm even writing a paper I'm in the zone I you know if I'm working on a manuscript I'm I'm like wow this is actually really kind of pleasurable I'm thinking about oh yeah I want to add that you know that research that I read about it a year ago I forgot about that and then it then it becomes what you're doing is what you're doing <laughs> and it's not <laughs> trying to multitask a million things not that sometimes you have to but it's about being in the moment and enjoying what you're doing in the moment Right. And so do you think it's a skill that anyone can learn or do you have to have a specific mindset? No. And in fact, some of the studies have these super short intervention periods that, that boggle even my own mind. Uh, <laughs> there was one that I, I just presented a couple days ago. It was about pain. And we can talk about that topic if you want. But it was just a four-day intervention. And these people were changing the, the you know, their subjective experience of pain compared to a bunch of really good controls. And they were changing part of their brain that links kind of the, like the mental and physical aspects. So that kind of how you perceive your body in pain started to change. And, and it's just like, wow, it was four days. <laughs> These are just ordinary people. Um, it's simple. I like to call it simple, uh, but um challenging at the same time so it, it's simple to learn um in one of my research studies i looked at people who have been practicing for tens of thousands of hours so these were like a lot of them were monks but not all um they they had just been training for for 
you know, decades and, and, and some just like going off to the mountain and doing retreats and that kind of thing. And then I was comparing them to people who had just learned the practice like a week ago, like they were given like a piece of paper that had the instructions on. They went home, we compared their brains. And what actually kind of shocked me is how similar the brain patterns were. Wow. Um, they just doing the meditation, like the attention network, which, you know, is what we need, again, to concentrate on anything like writing a paper or um, um, listening to a friend, anything like that. That was the same. But how they dealt with distractions, that was radically different. So <laughs> practice makes practice makes a big difference. Oh, but do the practice in just, you know, it just takes like one set of instruction and you can probably do it. Which is incredible to think about, to like have such a life-changing way of living be so easy to actually implement, but tough to remember to do. Yeah, I think that's maybe the, 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 there are some like, you know, you could set like reminders and things like that, but that's half the battle, getting it into um like your daily routine even if like it's before you get out of bed in the morning you just sort of sit up and you know put a pillow underneath your sit bones and just kind of sit for i I once one of the subjects in my research uh, um he had done actually it was kind of funny because the data were correlated with how much practice like like 10,000 versus 30,000 versus 50,000 hours and it nothing came out at first and then we read a biography of this individual and found out that he actually had been so modest that he left out like like 20,000 hours of the practice because he said it wasn't very good <laughs> anyway this guy was super experienced it turned out and then everything correlated but anyway he actually gave us the advice that you should start out by doing less than you think you can do so let's say you feel like you know what i can probably do five minutes of mindfulness do three if you think you know i probably can do 10 minutes do five um everything he, he's like you want to come out like you you're kind of like yeah, I did it. <laughs> and it wasn't too hard. And then you can gradually increase from there. So that was his recommendation in terms of like, I mean, even if you have a super busy day and you take like a 30 second period between two intense tasks, that's going to feel really different. It's going to make that experience of the second task feel experientially different. Okay. I, this is all advice I need to take because when you were describing the, like waking up in the middle of the night, I was like, are you a fly on my wall where I just think about like something awkward I said to someone, you know, three months ago and now. Right, right, right. And then we don't have the frontal cortex, you know, the, our prefrontal cortex puts the brakes on some of the crazy stuff. <laughs> and when we wake up in the night, we're kind of tired and there's less energy in our brain and the prefrontal cortex, our brain is such an expensive organ to run. So this is my neuroscientist coming in and like all of a sudden I'm putting on that hat. It, the brain takes up like 25% of the energy uh, that we produce in our body. So it's like, super expensive <laughs> it better be doing something important um yeah. 
So, so anyway, in the night when we wake up, we don't have all the energy there. And so our, the brakes aren't on and we can't put the brakes on that emotion. But with mindfulness, that system can work more efficiently. And that's something that we saw with the monks. Like it, it almost was like they would set their attention like I hate to use the word focus, but they would place their attention on an, on the object, which was a little dot on the screen in our MRI studies. And then it's like, it would go off. Like, no, I put it there. It's just staying there by itself. I don't have to like put a lot of effort, but beginner meditators have to really like, and we don't encourage that kind of tight attention, but in some ways you have to do it over and over again. And, um, and sometimes you feel like, oh no, I've lost it. But uh, you just gently place it back on. It's okay. Yeah. And, and every time you do it, you're like flexing a muscle. So like when you're starting to do weights and you can do a lot of reps, like, you know, it builds up muscle kind of fast. It builds it up kind of fast. And that's what you do with the with the mindfulness. Okay. So let's have you put your neuroscientist hat on uh, and talk maybe a little bit about what happens in the brain when you actually do right. that. And I'm, I'm so glad you explained the prefrontal cortex to me because there are times in the middle of the night when I wake up and I'm like, why? And then I why is it so crazy? <laughs> and then when I wake up, you know, the morning, I'm like, why did I think that was such a big deal at yeah. 3 a.m.? Yeah, it's just unregulated. And, yeah. and, you know, you get disorders or even, you know, I wrote a book chapter last year on the links between cardiovascular stress and like depression and anxiety. And it's huge. There, are, you know, people who are, if you look at the brains of someone with um, cardiovascular disease, it often looks the same as someone who has depression or anxiety. And that's often comorbid, the, the actual um, uh, diseases. Mm -hmm. But what's kind of interesting is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you can rein that in and rein that attention in, you have a protection against depression, which is correlated strongly with that rumination that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things get out of hand uh, it, when you don't have the prefrontal cortex working. And normally we like our normal baseline is pretty functional, but one thing that, um, we'd like to talk about in the field is we actually want to take it up a notch and really get to the point of flourishing. Like we don't just want to get to kind of okay and can adult. Um, <laughs> right. And that's really where we become a little like, yeah, as long as I can kind of adult, that's okay. Right. But in a way we, we don't need to set the ceiling quite there. We, we can, we can go a little bit farther and then maybe in the night it's not quite so bad. Or even if you do have, like, I still have experiences like that. And then you get up in the morning and maybe, like, start, instead of, like, kicking yourself, you're just like, you know what, that happens. That's the way my brain sometimes is at night. And that's a first step is just kind of understanding that um, it takes time to make the brain operate in a more efficient way. So this task of mindfulness is placing your attention gently on the breath. This requires the sustained attention network, which is um, this frontal parietal cortex. Um, if I asked you, you know, I have a set of bells here that I use when I do online uh, mindfulness. If I had, if I ask you, okay, just listen to the sound of the bells. 
It's still sounding. Maybe you can hear it, maybe you can't at this point, but that, do you feel like that kind of just changes the mood? I mean, like, like just yeah. ringing those bells. Yeah, I feel calmer. <laughs> right, right. And so, I mean, you can buy these on the internet. They're not <laughs> too. I actually did a, a teaching con uh, conference for teachers uh, some years ago. And I, I brought these little tingsa bells, and then I had all these teachers go out and get them because they're like, wow, that really made a difference in this talk. Like, I could just feel the room change. And um, I'm, you know, this would make a huge difference in my classroom if I could just get the students to, like, you know, if you've ever noticed a lake or river that like okay there's all these boats going and there's these wakes and maybe there's like ducks or something and there's all these waves and they're all kind of like <laughs> and then sometimes there'll just be a moment where things kind of <laughs> smooth out um th this kind of sustained attention that is fostered just by a very short exercise like placing attention on the breath or placing the attention on like a nice relaxing sound or going outside and just like breathing. It just sort of pacifies that kind of chaotic network that's happening. But it takes a little bit of, I don't know, like energy or practice to keep doing it. So a lot of times I'll ring the bell at the beginning and then it's almost like, okay, you've gotten like this little sample of how to, you know, place your attention. And I'll try to keep that up, you know, try to keep placing that attention onto the breath now. And yeah, you know what? Your brain is going to start thinking all sorts of crazy thoughts at times, just like it happens in the middle of the night. But practice removing your attention from that topic and placing it back on the breath. That act of withdrawing your attention from an object your mind wants to think about, like an imaginary conversation or something, is actually a little bit difficult. We, our brain does not like to change tasks. If you've ever got, I have a toddler, and if you've ever tried to stop a toddler from doing something, like they get mad. <laughs> and our brain sometimes wants to like sort out what's going on. You know, they want, it, your brain will like sometimes will decide it wants to solve a problem, right? Like I've got this problem in life and I'm going to solve it. And I'm going to think and think and think and think until that thing is solved. <laughs> Uh, or I'm going to have this imaginary conversation and I'm going to tell that person what I think. Uh, or, you know, I'm going to calm that person or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter if it's a positive or negative thing. It's just that this act of taking our attention away from that and placing it back on the breath is activating this kind of network of sustained attention, which takes a little bit more energy. And if we can learn to do it in enough, if we do it over and over, so sometimes it's actually really, really good. Um, and I tell people, like some people will be like, oh no, I just thought and thought and thought the whole time during this meditation. Awesome. Because <laughs> you, you have so many opportunities to withdraw and go back to the breath. And it's just like, you know, you're, if you, if you can, even though it, it kind of feels even a little bit aversive, like every time, it's like, eh, it's like doing a rep. Okay, I've taken it from that topic. 
back to the breath. I mean, if you're at home, you know, maybe like it's gone so far that you want to like ring some sort of bell again or something or play a little chime. There's, there's some chimes you can get um, off the internet and you can just play it on your phone if you want. But it just is a network that needs strengthening and the way our world is set up doesn't really reinforce that i mean it does reinforce like you have to study to get a good grade on an exam and generally studying requires a sustained attention network but a lot of times we're just like busy 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 and and if we do have a moment what do we do we take out our phones and we're just like Right. <laughs> I do too. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's fine if you can you know kind of put a little boundary around it, but we don't. We aren't really taught, and we aren't rewarded for that kind of activity of sustained attention. So if we strengthen that network, even for a little bit, like the waves of the you know you can see it in brain waves. You can see. Um, brainwave changes to that, you know, especially in the frontal cortex, which I mentioned, <laughs> um, you know, are, are, are a little bit more regular. Um, and the network that strengthen is this frontal parietal attention network. So you're making it stronger, you're making it more efficient. Data that have looked at like a whole bunch of data sets of meditation. They look at, you know, what in the brain has changed. And those areas actually get a little thicker. Like the the brain, you use them more regularly through mindfulness. And then eventually your brain is like, that's a really necessary process for me. I'm going to build it up. And so it makes it bigger and stronger. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you have literally more brain <laughs> and um, are better able to, to deal with that crazy um, stuff that happens. Oh, wow. So for, so uh, we always like to end the podcast with like a well-being snapshot and which is basically like, how can we apply or talk about, you know, the topic in terms of what's happening today? And so obviously yeah. what's happening today, we're still in the midst of this pandemic. So do you think it's critical for folks to practice mindfulness during this time and how can they work towards it? Because in, in some ways things might be more hectic or more stressful. So what, what do you suggest? I really recommend it, but in a really gentle, like be really gentle with yourself. So if you're, if you get like a should attitude, be really careful about noticing that attitude happen because it's going to make it just another thing that causes stress, right? So if you can just, you know, make some sort of reminder to just, again, like that, you know, the monk that we experienced in our studies said, do something for less time than you think. That's really important, especially right now in the pandemic is, is like, don't add like another thing, you know, just heck 30 seconds listen to the bells. And then when you're done, and you have that, you know, a little bit, and maybe it'll still feel like there's a lot of thoughts, but it, but it may, might be like your glasses or something are a little bit clear. And in that kind of clear state of mind, before you just jump off and do the things you need to do in the world, check your, you know, set an intention for the rest of your day. And make that, if you can, to include 
what you've probably thought about as a kid, or maybe you still think about once in a while, the fact that you want to benefit the world in some way, uh, or you want to benefit people in your life, or whatever it is, because that's activating a pro-social network that is going to also be your friend in these times, uh, especially since we're more isolated. Uh, we're more, <laughs> um, you know, kind of apart from people, if you can be like, okay, you know what, whatever I do today, you know, can it, I hope it can help others. And in doing so, you've connected your, you've imbued your day with meaning and purpose. And those are so protective against depression, anxiety, cardiovascular disease, everything. As, as I kind of went over with my, and in fact, there's a part of your brain that's involved in this meditation network. The, there was this Japanese study that showed the more purpose in life you feel, the more this area also expands and gets bigger. So, you know, you're, you're just creating a, a little bit more of an expansive day. And I think in the pandemic, we really need, we can get really like, like boxed into our little, like not only are we physically isolated, but our brains can sometimes be in a box too. And I think that helps get, get us out of the box. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This was like really enlightening. I think that you need to come back and do like six more episodes because I feel like <laughs> I would love to do the compassion one. I, I love oh. to talk about compassion and I didn't really get a chance to talk about. So I would love to sometime. Oh, for sure. I feel like you're just like bursting at the seams with like useful knowledge that I think could really yeah. benefit students. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today. Hey, and hey, to our, you know, 12 avid listeners. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesdays.